Welcome to the Search the Scriptures podcast, where we dive into scripture and provide the explanation of it in the most accurate light that we can. Search the Scriptures is a podcast that is dedicated primarily to the Christian, challenging our brothers and sisters along with ourselves to see if we have set aside the commands of God to set up our own traditions. To do this, we use scripture to explain scripture. Please join us on this journey. We are going to pick up our study again in Romans today, and though we did read through some of these verses last time, I'm going to go back to verse 28, Um, and today, though we are still going through verse by verse, this is what we're doing, this is how we're doing our study, Um, the topic that is introduced in verse 28 through 30 is the topic of election predestination, all basically summarized in the sovereignty of God. That's what it comes down to. Um, Because that topic is introduced here, and it's absolutely impossible to just cover it all or attempt to even begin to cover um, part of it without actually going to other portions of Scripture. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to I'm not necessarily going to call it a topical teaching, though it is, um, but I'm going to focus on the doctrine itself of the sovereignty of God, election, predestination, and I'm going to go to through different verses, different passages in the word, both Old Testament, New Testament, to cover this topic that has been introduced here. Now, I am, I usually don't like to jump ahead since we're doing verse by verse studies. Um, I don't like to jump ahead too much. But for this one, I do have to jump to um, chapter 9. We are in chapter 8 right now, but I do have to jump to chapter 9 because there is a portion of chapter 9 as well that relates to this. So I will cover that as well, though when we do get to chapter 9, we will still go, you know, as, as usual, verse by verse. We'll probably do a brief summary again or review when we're there, but I am going to bring it up today, um, the portion of chapter 9. So for those purposes... Today's study might look a little bit different, and it's just because of that, because we need, we really need to go to multiple places in Scripture to develop this uh, this study. So as we, I'll, I'll start by reading the verses, again, as a refresher um, from last time, starting in verse 28, it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. And last time, if you recall from our study, we we saw how God already introducing, right, the the idea or the topic of the sovereignty of God, which basically means that he ordains everything, right? He in his providence in his providence, he orchestrates everything. And we even had a discussion where we talked about temptation and testing, right, and, and, and what it looks like one versus the other, where even temptation itself, moments of temptation, though not specifically brought upon by God in the sense that he doesn't tempt you, because we also saw the scriptures where it says that clearly that God doesn't tempt anybody because he's not evil. There's no evil in him, so he's not going to tempt you to evil, but he does test and he does allow the temptation 
um, in his or, uh, orchestrated events, right? So he is literally sovereign over everything. So we already started digging into the sovereignty of God in our last study. And we, we saw this verse, we, we just kind of glanced through it last time, where we see that it says that after he causes all things to work together, right? After we read that part, the next part says, to those who are called, and that's the key here today, those who are called according to his purpose. And then it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And we did discuss last time as well, right? Which was, what was the purpose of it all, right? Um, what was the result or the conclusion or the goal that we're pushing um, towards? And it is to be conformed to the image of his son. We, we saw different scriptures on that, but here it just says it verbatim, right? Clearly, literally, that's what it says. And we are already predestined to be shaped in his image. And, but the words that are key here are for new and predestined, because this brings, this brings the idea that God actually or, already ordains these things from eternity past, right? From the beginning. These are not things that, you know, God just kind of figures out as, as he goes, right? It is all has already, all has been predetermined already. So he's already predetermined by his own choice to set his love on us, right? He's already predetermined by his own choice to establish an intimate relationship with us because of his power to elect, right? His, his prerogative, his authority to make that um, election. And I'm going to start seeing some scriptures here. And I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures on this because we'll see that this, the idea that God chooses and he makes selections, elects some, passes on another, chooses to do things a certain way, these are all over scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament, right? This is not, it's, it's not beyond him. And you'll see uh, at the end of our study here, really, that this idea, right? You know, we use the word doctrine, but let's call it whatever you want to call it, right? Election, predestination, sovereignty of God, topic, study, doctrine, etc. is really very easy to understand. It's, it's not it's not hard at all. It, it doesn't. It doesn't require a lot of sophisticated study or anything like that. It is very clear. It is. It is literal. It is something that you can literally just read, and it speaks for itself. And it's absolutely easy and simple to understand. The problem is not. The problem in in today's society and, and where the issues or the disagreements come it's not in it's not in understand it doesn't lie in understanding it because understanding it itself is very easy like it doesn't require anybody special you just read it and it's there the problem or the difficulty comes in accepting it right that that's really what creates the issue that's where all the different 
you know, theories or, 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 or sides to it or, or views on it would be the better word comes into play, right? Because in order to adjust it to a way that is a lot easy, it's a lot easier to accept, that's where the problem really comes, right? So if I take a look at First Peter um, 1, 2, First Peter 1, 2, actually First Peter 1 and 2. And so boy, can you do me a huge favor when you, because I'm not seeing, because I have my Bible open in my, find my screen at, so I don't see when you get to the scripture. Whenever you get to the scripture that I mentioned, can you just tell me, all right, we're here or something like that. Just give me a sign that, that we're on it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. we're here. Perfect. All right. So first Peter one and two says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? And this is just in the salutation, right? In the beginning of the epistle. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. So notice how Peter, in his epistle, right, to the believers, to the churches, he's already using, this is, this is so established, this is so accepted, like this is such an integral part, this is kind of like Christianity 101 for them, right? Is such an integral and accepted part of Christianity that they just casually mention it even in their salutation. Like even in the beginning of their letter, in the intro, where they're just saying hi to people, they just throw it in there because it is so accepted and it is so established that it is not meant, it is not meant for something to be disputed. He doesn't have to wait till later on in the epistle, getting deep in theology to bring this idea. No, he just says it right there. The fact that, who are you? Chosen. So if he's saying chosen, then it is automatically conveying the fact that there is somebody who chooses, right? There is a selection happening. So he says, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So I wanted to bring this specific passage because like I said, it's, it's literally right then and there in the beginning in the salutation where he hasn't even began to develop the epistle. He's just, just casually stating that because it is well known and received. It is normal among us. In other words, it is so normal and established in the early church, because we see this in different epistles and different books of, of the Bible, that this is how it is. This is how they understand it, right? And notice how the Trinity is already mentioned here, which is a wonderful thing, because this is actually another big part of the sovereignty of God and understanding election is the fact that the Trinity is involved in it. And the fact that all three are one yet three distinct persons but the fact that they are one and jesus reiterates multiple times i and the father me and the father are one what it tells us is that they cannot be in disagreement they can't be in dispute right we can't have the son going rogue acting in disobedience to the father the spirit doing his own thing the father doing whatever he wants that that, that would be even sacrilegious to say that that is heresy that, that does not fit 
how they describe how the Trinity describe how God Himself describes it. Right? They are one, and because they are one, we will see that the only way for this to work, the whole election and and predestination for it to work, is to just take it at verbatim and the way that the Bible says it and not try to understand it in a different way because this is the way that it is described. So it says here, chosen. How? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, by the work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Let's go really quick to Acts 2.23. Acts 2.23. We're there. Okay. So Acts 2.23 says, just a simple verse, this man, referring to Christ, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. What is this verse saying, telling us? That everything that happened, right, in the work of the gospel and the death of Christ was already set to happen that way by God himself. It is not because somehow godless men have the power to determine destiny. It is not because godless men somehow were able to overcome the God-man and overpower him by their own might. It is not that somehow the devil pulled one on God and one score one on the board no it says clearly deliver over and how did this all happen by the predetermined plan and for knowledge of god now it is very key to see also that those words are used together in conjunction because for knowledge doesn't necessarily mean just because you can see into the future and because you already have knowledge ahead of time of what's going to happen. No. Predetermination, predestination, and foreknowledge of God, those words are, when describing the sovereignty of God and election, they're always used together. And there's a reason for that. You can make one word to mean something by itself without the other, because that's where some different views will come into play. Because you will have views like, and I'm, I am, I understand that I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but we'll get there, right? But one of the objections would be something like this: Well, God doesn't choose purposely to save some and condemn others. He doesn't purposely will some to go to hell and to be judged and specifically choose already some. No, the way that it works is that 
because God knows everything and he can see into the future, then he can see who are the people who are going to accept him and accept his son. And he can see who are those that are going to believe. And because of that knowledge into the future, view into the future that he has, he is able to do these things and make these things because time doesn't apply to him the way that it applies to us. That That's, again, let me make it clear. I'm not saying that that's what it is. In fact, that is a very wrongful interpretation, a very wrongful thing to say. I was using that as an example of an explanation that sometimes we come up with in order for, to make this more easily, uh, easier to accept. But that's, that's not how it is because for knowledge, is not used separately from predetermination. He predetermines ahead of time. He already establishes and he chooses how he is going to do things. He chooses how things are going to happen, period, because he's God. And think about this, right? If you were some, and when I say you, I mean all of us, right? If, if we somehow are going to make a theory, right? and we're going to say that what this means is that because God looks into the future to find those who are going to believe in him, and, and based on that, he's going to make choices, then we're actually saying that God learns something. Now, think about that. Remember that we're referring to the self-sustaining, everlasting, all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect, omniscient God, right? We are saying that that God, he actually has to go and, and, and look ahead to find out, as in, oh, he, has, he doesn't know, so he has to learn. Let me check who are those who are going to accept me. No. Again, that would be heretical to say that because he knows everything from the beginning, period. He doesn't have to go look ahead, wave a crystal ball to see what's going to happen in the future to then decide how he's going to do things here in the beginning. No. He is literally everything and knows everything at once. So we can't say that he goes, again, looking to them based on that, based on what he finds, like somehow this is out of his control. I need to find out first how things are going to play out so that I can make my selections and choices up um, back here. That's what we're saying with that theory, that somehow there are some things out of his control, so he has to go and make sure and confirm things so that he can act. Do you see how that makes no sense? It, it doesn't fit. Like We can't make that theory because it doesn't fit into the nature of God. Let's go back to um, Scripture in Romans. We're there. Okay. So again, to verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. You see how the two words again are together in the same verse? Predestined to become 
conform, conform to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. This word literally means that he is setting things from the past, period. And I'm going to take you to a series of scriptures now. Let's go to Romans chapter 9. And in fact, I probably have, I probably should see other scriptures before we get there. Let's, let's do this. Let's go to Colossians 3.12. I'm sorry for that. Let's go to Colossians 3.12 and 2 Timothy 2.10. But let's go to Colossians first. I just don't, I don't want to jump to Romans 9 yet. Let's go to Colossians 3.12. Okay. okay. Colossians 3.12 says, So as those who have been chosen of God, Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience, bearing one another, forgiving each other. We're describing Christians, right? Whoever has to complain against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. The key here is that it says, so as those who have been chosen of God. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2.10. Okay, we there. Paul saying, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also oh, I think may... I'm in a, I think I'm in a wrong one. You said 2 Timothy 2.10? Yes, 2 Timothy 2.10. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. You were there. Okay. Says Paul writing says, for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain... The salvation did you see that for this reason i do all things for the sake of the entire world that's not what it says for the sake of everybody that's not what it says it says for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain what salvation already is and i'm not even getting to the problematic verses yet is clearly saying salvation is going to who? To the chosen. Not to the world. Not to the entirety of the world. Not to everybody. Not to every man. Not to every kind of man. It's going to the chosen. May obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. I'll take you really quick to um, God. I'm sorry, God. Romans 8.33. We're there. Okay. Where it says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. 
who is the who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus, right? But the key is in verse 33. Who will bring a charge against who? God's elect. Now, let me take you through a couple of scriptures in the uh, Old Testament. If we look at Deuteronomy 14 2. 14 2. We're there. All right. What does it say? Verse 2. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has, what's the word? Chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are in the face of the earth. We have a problem with God choosing some over others, right? That's usually the issue. Well, it's telling me in the beginning, it's telling me in, in one of the first five books of the entire Bible that he, this is him speaking, right? This is his word, has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. And it then says literally, meaning at verbatim, not implicitly, not um, allegorically, not as symbolism. No, it's, it's saying literally. It's chosen you from other people out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. In other words, he has chosen you over these others. There was a hand. Yes, um, <clears throat> I remember last Thursday, a question that came up for me, um, one of my go to verses that I love to ponder on, of course, is Matthew 7, 21. Okay. The people at this time, uh, I don't know if this is at the time of judgment, because I'm, I'm, send, I'm guessing because he says, you know, uh, depart from me, you of uh, workers of iniquity. Yeah, these people all the way up until this point thought they were saved. And so sometimes I, when I'm looking, listening to this, you know, what you're covering now, um, it, it sounds like the people who are elect show signs of it or they, Absolutely. right. And they, um, have characteristics. Um, are this still going to, so I'm kind of like confused right there. Because it's people who think that they're saved, they walk like they're saved. Um, but of course, there's some works that they did not do to, I guess, show their salvation. Correct. Because it says, and when you didn't do these things to these people, you're doing it unto me. So, how can you tie both of these two together for me? So, that deviates a little bit from the election itself. Because now it's, yes, it's part right. We're talking about people who are saved, chosen, et cetera. But that's really more concerned with the signs of a true believer or the evidence, let's call it that way, which comes down to the actual fruit. There are going to be different scriptures or different portions of scripture that, like, for example, Galatians 5, right, which will talk to you about the fruits of the spirit. And these things should be evident on a true believer. A true believer will have true saving faith right is not one that wonders so even through 
thick and thin, even through testing and pruning, and even through the worst of the worst, they will stand. They are they are part of the remnant. Um, when James talks about faith without works being dead, he is talking about the fact that a true believer's faith, true saving faith, produces good works. Though we went already through a few chapters in Romans, seeing how works has nothing to do with your salvation, and you cannot work your way to salvation. You can't earn it by works, but works will absolutely follow. So in other words, when you are a true believer, which by default is what? You are part of the elect, right? If you are a true believer, you will produce good works. And we can't base those good works on simple signs and wonders because even demons do signs and wonders, right? So when we see people saying, but I did this, right? I heal, sign, I wonder, right? I cast demons out, signs, wonders, etc. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were actually saved or they were actually doing it with a true heart for Christ and as a true servant of Christ. So that's really who that scripture specifically in Matthew, and that's one that I, I share with you. I, I love that scripture. Um, it is it, it is sobering and it is terrifying, right? But that scripture actually describes those who are truly not part of his sheep or part of his flock, which John also says in one of his epistles, though they were with us, right? They were among us. They acted like us. They looked like us. They actually fell away because they were never of us. So there is truly a distinction between one and the other. But as far as how do we know, we only know and we have what the Bible tells us about them. What the Bible tells us about the true believer, which is the fruit, the test of Galatians 5, um, what we're going to see in them, right? The love, etc. All, all of that, the works, the good works that will be produced. Um, those are the things that will identify a, a true believer. So what you have there, hand as well? Yeah, I was just gonna say that's a great answer. And and just to add to that, uh, I I feel and you can uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, those are the people that were called, but not necessarily chosen. Uh, so there are going to be people who, who answer the call, but they were they were never chosen, and and that's what happened in Christ's time, and apparently that's going to happen all the way to the end. So yeah, so that's actually part of that's actually part of this whole discussion about election and predestination and and don't get me wrong right let's let's get when we get to the end you'll see that this this is not this is actually a wonderful thing this is actually an amazing thing that should humble us this is not meant to be seen as many people see it as some sort of elitist type of deal where like oh like we are the chosen and you guys are not type of like how people tend to um bash on it to say that that's not what the bible should be uh, it's actually teaching it's actually completely the opposite of that because but anyway what, what you were saying um Nasavoy, is there is an actual effectual calling there is a calling out there there is an effectual call an overall call but that doesn't mean that that is actually the inward selection or election or, or choosing of god of this of the shepherd right because you have the preacher the preacher is commanded to call in the sense of preach the gospel to 
every single living thing, right? We are taking the call everywhere to everyone. We are in fact distributing, right? Delivering the call, the general call, the effectual call to repent. But it is God, it is the shepherd who does the choosing. It is the shepherd who does the drawing. It is the father who draws to himself, right? So there's a difference there for sure. Right, you got something, G? Uh, <clears throat> what Savoy just shared is uh, the easiest words to use is terrifying because mm -hmm. there's going to be people that do answer the call. They're going to walk um, in the faith. And at the end of the day, they're not even chosen. Um, what differentiates the two then? What would it be something that we find out later or would so, it be something that's evident now that somebody is not just chosen the call, but also you have the elect that accept the call and you have those who just, you know, accept the call and they both live their same. Let's say they both live the life that the word states. They visit the sick. They, you know, they cater and they aid the, the widows. They do everything that we're, we are to do, but yet they they're, they're are chosen. Just, yeah. Those are chosen yeah, because, they, are chosen. because they, have, they have the works that, are, that show it. That's the difference. The ones that are called, they listen and they heard it and they believed in a sense, but they didn't act on any of it. Like it's, it's, it wasn't saving to the point to where they actually did something about it. Uh, it but we're called. I mean, every, not, I don't know if I want to say everybody, but Jesus does say, he gives that parable. He says, go out and, and invite all. He says yeah. the good and the bad. And, and, uh, and yeah, and, oh, and what, what was that? Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, go, go ahead, Alberto. I was saying, and we're going to get there, G, a little bit. Like I said, I, it's one of those things where it's hard not to jump ahead because I do it myself, but we are going to get a little bit more into that, to what you were saying, um, you know, one versus the other. However, what you're saying, I guess you're you're worried, right? You're worrying your concern. Um, and it kind of even reminds me of, some of the early church, right, where they were concerned about those who were going, not the same thing, right, but they were concerned of those, but what about those that die already? They're already resting. Are they going to miss it, right? No, they're not, right? God works everything perfectly. Um, but in this case, those who are actually doing those things are chosen, period. There is a guarantee. Those are the ones that actually, the Bible actually tells us to take comfort in our salvation, to take security in our salvation. We can't live a life questioning if we're actually saved or not. That is completely unbiblical and it goes against everything that the Bible itself teaches. But in this, in the example that you gave, if there is a person who's actually doing all those things, that person is chosen, period. They're, you're not gonna have, you're not going to have a goat, right? And I'm using references from the Bible, sheep versus the goats, wheat versus the tares, etc. You're not going to have a goat or a tear following all those all those works, producing all those fruit and all those things that describe a true believer and not be one of the elect, because that would completely discredit the entirety of what the Bible is teaching you and by default making God a liar. So there is no instance and there is no possibility of a person who's actually living that life and exhibiting those things to find himself in that Matthew 7 type of scenario. These people know, right? Or should know, let's put it that way, or should know at least, 
because they're not really producing those things. Yeah, something some way. Yeah, I was gonna say I think a a, a decent example would be uh uh Judas himself being that uh he was called and he was uh a part of everybody. But if you look at his works, it says that he would say things like, you know, this stuff could have been this this uh sacrifice this woman has given in this in, in this uh perfume that she used that could have been sold and given to the poor. But it the one of the gospels say he did didn't in fact care for the poor at all. He was actually a thief. He would actually steal from the treasury. So it, it, it was showing the intent of really what he was doing. So he was not doing any works for God. And so uh even though he was amongst them, he was he was right there amongst them. And I think that it, I think he's a pretty good example of, of that. Absolutely. No, that is an absolutely great example. Uh thank you for clearing that up. Uh Savoy and Albert, that, whew, boy, let me go ahead. Yeah. Me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, brother, I'm like, look, man, it's, it's tough, but I'm like, uh, but it, it does give uh, more fuel to the flame. And also it's, it, it keeps you humble to understand the reason why you're doing it. Because at the end of the day, doing an act of service, uh, volunteering at the very least, um, and taking upon yourself to take that burden to, you know, like I said, go visit these people and, actually care for them it yeah. doesn't truly it, it takes away from you it it can it can deplete you and i can see after a while if your heart's truly not in it for god's sake you're going to quit you're going to fall away from that because it's not rewarding it's it's a it's a religion that doesn't satisfy man it doesn't satisfy the flesh so eventually like you say yeah you what well, the word says they will fall away so i i i can see how this all ties together now so thank you of course, brother, and and I know, brother, this is 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 absolutely terrifying when we're taking or discussing some of these portions of scriptures independently, right, outside of the the entirety of the Bible. But when taken all together, right, you'll see how this is actually meant for your comfort, and, and we'll see in a little bit. Like I said, like I said, it's, it's, it's scary, but we'll see how actually all of this work for our for our benefit. All right. So then I think, um, brother, we were the last scripture that we were in Deuteronomy. Yes, sir. Okay. So then let's go to Jeremiah 1 5. Okay, we're there. All right. Jeremiah 1 5 says, Before I formed you, in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. So you see the same thing for knowledge and predestination working together. Because God is saying, before I actually form you, this is an act that I myself did. I already knew you. So do you see how he has knowledge of all and, and decides how to do all? While he's doing things, he knows it all. Like there's there's no separation where God has to go and check on something to determine how to best do something. He does it all at once. He's saying, Before I form you, I knew you. And before you were born, I did this. I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations appointment right another thing that is related to this he he chose to do that i appointed you a prophet to the nations 
Let's see um, Matthew 7.23, which you were talking about <laughs> right now, um, G. And as says, and there, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So this scripture, this specific portion of the verse, the reason why I'm including it here is because this actually relates to the fact that God has intimacy an intimate relationship with those who are his, with those who are his sheep. He knows them, they hear him, they come to him, they follow him, they obey him. Yes, they're sheep, they go astray, they do their own thing, they stumble, they stink, right? but they're his. So what this is, this verse is showing us here is that this is actually referring to those who were never part of his sheep. Those who are actually in a way doing their own thing, but they are not of him. And uh, an example that I can think of right off the bat here is the sons of Sceva, right? Again, nothing to do with salvation itself, or but when they went to exercise this demon going around, right? Like they could use God's power in the name of Jesus, all this and all that. And what did the demon tell them? Well, Paul, I know. Jesus, for sure, I know. But who are you? So th there is, and because of that, because there's there was not that, unity relationship with christ with the christ that paul was walking in the power and walking in him they could do nothing at least with that specific demon right because they were going out there exercising doing whatever but again the reason this new knowing doesn't doesn't say about it's, it's not talking about head knowledge knowing who you are in the sense of no he created all of us right every single one every single vessel was created by god he knows who they are in that sense this knowing talks about relationship like there's other scriptures in the bible where it talked about a husband knowing his wife it actually is talking about intimacy right this this is the connotation of that we can only have intimacy with god and know him that way and him knowing us that that way the groom and the bride, if we are truly are in him. So that's why I wanted to bring that um, verse here. So let's go back to, let's go back to. Um, Yo, bro, so before you do that, I just had a quick uh, comment or question on this, I guess. Uh, when this, this verse 23 says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Uh, it, it just kind of, I guess I had an epiphany because the way you explained it. It says the previous verses we were looking at, it says for those he foreknew. So he so he knew him well before, before they even existed. He knew him. Mm -hmm. And here it's making it sound like I never, like you were never even a part of that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's take a quick, um, let's make a quick stop at Ephesians 1.4.
right. And Ephesians um, 1 4 says, just as he chose us in him before, when, so when does this choosing happen, right? Before the foundation of the world, that we will be holy and blameless before him. Now, it's, it's no coincidence that this was brought up, brought up in Romans where it was brought up, right? We were in chapter 8 and then 9 talking about these things, but we already went through chapter 1 through 7, going through total depravity, the fallenness of man, how we all deserve judgment, the free gift of salvation, justification, sanctification, the imputed righteousness of Christ, that is the way that we become holy and blameless before him. But what this verse is saying here, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In other words, he already preordained all of this. That we will be holy and blameless before him. And how are we going to be holy and blameless before him? Well, everything that we just went through through all the beginning chapters of Romans. How we have the righteousness of Christ, right? And we are holy and blameless in front of him. Because of that, because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of his blood, because of the new birth. All of it, the entire gospel, everything was already ordained to the detail by him. So now let's go to Romans chapter 9. And we're going to go to... Eleven Romans chapter nine. Let's go to verse eleven. Let me know when we're there. We're there. Okay. So starting in verse eleven, right? Talking about he's talking about descendants and up to the point where we get children of Israel to the point where we get to um Isaac who has the twins, right? Just putting that to give a little bit of context. He says, for the twins were not yet born, and we're talking about the twins, we're talking about Esau and Jacob. For the twins, for though the twins were not born yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to what? His choice would stand. So it's not giving us the chance to explain things away based on works. It's not giving us a chance to deliver to develop a theory based on cost and effect, based on actions and consequences. It's not allowing us to do that. It's not giving space any leeway at all for us to be able to theorize or say, well, it's because Esau was what he was, you know, he sold his birthright. You know, what kind of son is that? It's because Esau, well, you know, all of Edom come, came through him, wicked generation. Like, no, it's specifically telling us this happened 
before anything, any of that could have place, could have taken place. Just so that it is very clear that the only explanation to this and the only reason for this is my choice. When I say my choice, it's not mine, it's God's, right? So that it says, without then doing anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Have you noticed that every single verse that we've gone through so far, every single scripture that we have pointed out, Old Testament, New Testament, epistles here, etc., all of them are speaking about God choosing. The reason why I'm doing this is building up a case. Building up the case of, or proving up the fact that God chooses, period. God has the ability to choose. If you think about ourselves, like if we all know that we are absolutely nothing in comparison to God, and if we ourselves have the capacity to choose, and we exercise that capacity to choose every day, actually, Every day we decide to get in a car and go to work every day or we go to the grocery store and we pick up what we're going to get and we're going to go or, or the one that requires the most work. When I go out with my wife and we're trying to choose where to eat. You go adopt a puppy, you adopt a dog, right? You go and you select, you choose one over others and you pass on others. We as human beings who have been made in his image, in his image, not equals, just in his image, we have the power and the capacity to choose why would we think that he doesn't? Why would we even begin to make up excuses or make up explanations to take away from God choosing just because of the fact that he is God and he chooses. So going back to this verse, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand not because of works, but because of him who calls, period, not because of words, just because of him, period. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. Now, this is not a New Testament thing. This is not now all the way in Romans. Oh, wow. I didn't know that God hated it some or choose one over the other this is news to me i well, i didn't even know that he hated esau it took me this long to figure it out no let's go to malachi malachi chapter one malachi chapter one verse two over there okay old testament 
I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. And I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. Through e Though Edom says, right, the people that came through him, through his loins, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Then comes the Lord. Then thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear it down. And men will call them the wicked territory and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. This is God out of his own choosing. This is an Old Testament. This is not news in the New Testament. This is not God changing his ways. In fact, this is God proving over and over that what he says is true about himself. He says that he doesn't change. The Old Testament is literally being quoted here when it talks about this. I think I heard her hand. Yeah, that's me again. Sorry. <laughs> so I, I would say that uh, what I like to think of is is that as human beings, we typically don't have an issue with uh, a man who has that sovereign right doing just that. Like we typically don't have an issue with Pharaoh uh, in Joseph's time when Pharaoh took uh, the the chief cupbearer and restored him to his position, but the uh, but the baker, the chief baker, he had him impaled, he had him killed. I think most people will say, well, you know, of course, you know, that's his right. He's Pharaoh. He 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 can do those things. Yeah. Most people probably wouldn't have an issue with that, but we have an issue with God choosing likewise. That's true. <laughs> that's true. That is a great point, great comment, but that is true. Which again, we're going through all this just so that we can see that is there, everybody telling us, literally just telling us the problem is with us accepting it. Um, and then it's funny because Paul is an expert at Paul is an expert at foreseeing objections already, right? Anticipating is the word, anticipating objections. So he goes and he says something like that. He's automatically going to think, uh oh, that, well, there comes the objection there. They're going to say, well, God is so unfair. Well, he is so unjust. What's, what's literally the next verse that he says? What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. Absolutely not. There isn't. And I'm. Uh, we don't have to go through these. I'm just going to point them out. Genesis 18:25 says, "Far be it from you to do such a thing to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far it be from you. Shall you shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly, referring to God, because He is just." Psalm 7:9, "All oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous, for the righteous God." tries the hearts and minds god is judged um, god is just and god is righteous 
That is him. He's not unjust. He is a God of justice. So there is no injustice in him. Even when he does these things, there is no injustice in him. Then he goes and says, For he says to Moses, verse 15, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. This is the Lord. And this is actually quoted from Exodus 33:19. Exodus 33:19 says, and he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. That's the Lord speaking. Again, this is, we read it here. Wait, what is what's this? this? This is not news. This is all the way in the beginning. He's literally the same. He's just repeating himself. So then the verse says, so then it does not depend. It's giving us the explanation right there. It does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. What is that telling us? If it not, if, if it not, it's talking about God's mercy, right? And his compassion, which leads to what? Drawing to himself, which leads to what? To repentance, right? Which leads to what? To salvation. It is because of his mercy and his compassion, right? He's talking about that, and he says, it doesn't depend on man who wills or runs. This is the part that eradicates the theory or the view that we can actually choose God. This completely dispels the view that it is actually because of my choice. Because I was special enough to choose God over the rest of you sinners out there. Or smart enough. Or smart enough. It completely takes away any glory from you. It has nothing to do with you. Salvation is not initiated by human choice. We already discussed already when we talked about in the chapter that it is not by words but by faith and that it is a gift of God. We even went back to the beginning to Abraham. How even back then it was by faith. We, we already went through over all of that, right? It is a gift from God. Completely initiated, developed, and delivered by him. In fact, scriptures say that no one comes to the Father unless he draws them. 
I want us to go to John 10, 11 through 18. Let me know when we're there. John 10. There. Our Lord saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now this is key because now I'm going to introduce another part or facet or component of component of of a sovereignty and election sovereign election. And that is the specific atonement. Sometimes people call it limited atonement, definitive atonement. What does that mean? It means that Christ did not die for everyone. That's also a tough pill to swallow. What do you mean? You died for the sins of the world. God says, I mean, didn't you know the basics, Albert? John 3.16, did you miss that one? For God so loved the world. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you an answer to that that requires a little bit of digging. And then I'm going to give you an answer that requires no digging at all. So one that requires a little bit of digging is when you look at the word, remember that the New Testament and the original manuscript was written in Greek, right? When you look at the word used for the world, cosmos, it's actually used for multiple different meanings depending on the context of what the Bible, of what the scripture is saying. It is used sometimes to mean a specific group of people. It is used sometimes to mean the world system, as in the evil in the world. So when you have scriptures like speak, uh, referring to Satan, and he says that he's the god of this world, that's the connotation to it. That's the, the, that's the meaning used, or the way that the word is used there. Sometimes it refers to the material things of this world, this world in general, the terrorists. So it really depends on the, con just like in plain English, sometimes, or in Spanish specifically, we can use a word and it can mean different a different thing depending on the context and the sentence that we're putting it or the idea that we're conveying. So, when a verse mentions the uh, the word world, it doesn't mean the entire world every single time. Sometimes it could. Sometimes it doesn't. Again, what's the key of what's the key of interpretation? Is, is context. Through what what is it that it's saying? What what is the verses before? What is the verse after saying? What is it the entire idea of the of the passage? What is it telling me? Right, I want you to make sure that I'm not taking it out of context and applying it to something that has nothing to do with what it's telling me. That's that's how you read scripture, right? So, again, that one, if you want to go and 
and dig a little. But you don't have to do that. All you have to do is just read what it's saying there. You absolutely, you absolutely have to come to a specific conclusion that does not fit with all the other views when you read the Bible just by what it says. And what do I mean by that? Well, if God loved the entirety of the world in the sense that I want to make that mean absolutely everybody, because that's that's what people will use. This, this verse disproved this whole election thing because God loved the entire world, so absolutely everybody. If I'm going to make it mean that, then my friends, nobody will go to hell. Not one person. Now, why do I have to conclude that? Well, because the rest of the verse says that he gave his only begotten son. And we know that his only begotten son lived a sinless life. Though he was in power, though he was in glory, he decided to empty himself, be born of a virgin, in the likeness of flesh, live a sinless and perfect life, die as an innocent man with the weight of our sin on him, just so that we could be redeemed and so that all those that the Father gave to him will come to him And the key is that when he was done, he who is God, and there's and if there's one thing that God does that nobody else can do, is that when he speaks, it's done. It is set. It is it period. He speaks things into existence, they form. He declares something, it happens. What were the words of Jesus? He said, it is finished. So because he said, it is finished, I have to conclude that at that moment, when his redemptive work, when his sacrifice was done and his blood was shed, That propitiation for our sins was done. That transaction between him and the Father happened. That guarantees that I can have eternal life and that I can be in heaven with him, that I can be in paradise with him, and that I will be shaped in his image. Because you see, this transaction the devil was never involved in anything. It was all of God. He didn't make any payment to the devil for us. This was between him and the father. Because it is the father who said that I will give them to you. This is a gift from the father to the son. And the son is making this sacrifice 
so that we can come to him. So if at that moment it was finished and it was done, the atonement was completed. And if I am going to say that God did specifically that, that he delivered up his only begotten son for the entire world, then everybody has to go to heaven. There is no way that I can conclude anything else. But you see, in this scripture, he is telling us, not from me, from his own words, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I am very certain that in other portion of scriptures, he's talked about goats. So he is not giving his life for the goats. He who is a hired hand, continuing the passage, and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own. Again, coming to that whole Matthew 7, I never knew you. This no refers to intimacy. Relationship. I know who belongs to me. I know who have been chosen. I know my own and my, here's the key, and my own know me. It's a two-way street. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also. You see, because of that fact, we don't stop preaching. We don't stop sharing the gospel. We don't sit down and say, well, since he's already done all the election, I'm going to do anything because there's nothing, there's nothing I should do. He's already done it all. He's already selected those who are going to come. I don't have to preach anything. I mean, what's the point? No. There's still some to come. And he has commanded you and me to preach the gospel. And I have other sheep that are not of this fault. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will come and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back no one has taken it away from me but i lay it down on my own i have authority to lay it down and i have authority to take it back this commandment i receive from my father
So you see. Jesus is already specifying. The Bible is already telling us that this is for the sheep. Let me give you another example of why we can't just use the same definition of word. Well, I'm sorry, not word, world in every single verse that uses the word world. You see, I want to make I want to make John 3:16 mean that it is the entire world. Right? That because of that verse, absolutely everybody can get saved. Well, what about the scriptures where God tells us specifically That if you love the world, you're not one of his. What about the scriptures that he's literally commanding us to not be like the world? If I'm going to say world means the same thing in every single verse. When John says, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh the sin, who taketh away the sin of the world. Do you think that world there means absolutely every human being, everybody? Because if that's the fact, and the Lamb of God is going to remove the sin, sin of every single person, my friends, why are we even, we even worrying about hell? I call it selective, selective rot logic, selective reasoning. And here's really the question. The question that we ask normally is why? Why does God choose some? and not others some ask that question others ask the question how how can god be like that how can god specifically choose to save some and not others i call that selective questioning because we want we want to ask the question that feeds into our unaccepting attitude because the real question that we should be asking is how can god choose anybody at all why would god choose anybody at all that's the question that we should be asking And if I'm going to apply the popular theory that God looks into the future, that's what foreknowledge means, right? That he can look ahead. 
Well, let me, my friends, let me tell you that if that was the fact, we will all go to hell because he would see all down to the end of times, all down the timeline, that none of us can choose him. And that every single one of us is wicked. So he's not going to find good ones choosing him. No. He's going to find what he already declared. There's not one that is good, not one that does good. So God doesn't have to choose anybody at all. Yet he does because of his mercy and his compassion. Let's go back to um, Romans 9. Finish up the few verses on that on that portion. Mm -hmm. We were in verse 16. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. And that's actually quoted from Exodus chapter 9. And... Exodus chapter 9, verse... I'll read it really quick. We don't have to go there. Verse 16 says... But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. Still, you exalt yourself against my people by not letting them go. Talking to Pharaoh, right? And you might think to yourself, wait a minute. God is purposely hardening Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh is doing all this evil. There it is. God is tempting him to do evil. My friends, God doesn't lie. He said that he tempts no one. He's not tempting, he's not tempting Pharaoh to do anything. That evil is already in him. That evil is already in all of us. In fact, what we do see examples of God doing specifically is removing the restraints from people. The reason why we don't act out all the worst of the worst in us is because of the restraints that he has on us. 
Bible says that he turns them over to their own wickedness and devices, their own devices. That's one of the, that's that's a kind of judgment. He just gives you up to your own evil. He removes the restraints. It's not the same as saying he's tempting you to do evil. He didn't tempt Pharaoh. It is all on Pharaoh. Even though God himself pardoned him, even though God himself removed the restraints, the evil is on Pharaoh. It's not on God. You see, there's absolutely, not even in the harshest of scriptures, and in the harshest of events, where we see God doing some things that sometimes we wonder, wow, that was that was harsh. Even in those instances, God is not committing any evil. And again, that's not hard to understand because the Bible tells us it's hard to accept. That's the challenge. And then verse 19 says, you will say to me then, again, anticipating those objections, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? Questioning God, right? That's our automatic response to these things. We question God. On the contrary, who are you, oh man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder. Why do you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endure with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did. So to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand, again, beforehand for glory, even us whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. If you were... When we were going through the first beginning chapters of Romans, right, if you were paying attention to that, you notice that there was two selves. There was our old self and there is our new self. The two, the two at war that we later saw that Paul describes when the new man and the spirit wars against the flesh, the remnants of our own self. 
It's not who we are. It's just a remnant of our wicked flesh. Why do I bring that into this? Well, because that's another example of God hating one and loving the other. Because we went through the first three chapters seeing how the wrath of God was over the unbeliever. Seeing his hatred for sin. Seeing his hatred for wickedness. God is angry every day. There's scriptures that tell us that. At injustice, at sin, at wickedness. Who we were before. Paul says it himself sometimes, right? From this people, we used to be like them or from them. And the wrath of God was literally on us. The sore was to our neck. But now, we have been adopted. We have been claimed sons and daughters. We are loved. The only reason why I'm bringing that is not to explain election at all. It's just to show you another example of God expressing his hate over something and his love over another. Or his hate over someone and his love over another. But you see... Here's why all of this should be to our comfort. Because you see, I don't have to live wondering if I am chosen or not. I don't have to live going out there, figuring out who is chosen or not. I don't have to live with a life of anxiety and struggles and stress to find the Chosen's Club. I don't have to live that way. You know how I have to live and you know how I can live? I can live confident and secured in my salvation. Why can I live confident and secured in my salvation? How can I live with the peace to truly say, when I die, I will be in the presence of the Lord and I will be with him? How can I live 
100% sure that I have eternal life waiting for me. Because it is him that chose me and not me who had to choose him. Because it is him that did it all and not me who have to work my way there. Because it is him that made the sacrifice and the propitiation for sins and the atonement. And it is not me who has to die and be judged for my sins. Because he chose me already from the beginning, before the foundation of the earth, I can be secured on the fact that there's absolutely nothing that I can do, like Paul says, that will separate me from the love of God. So you see, it actually flips the entire thing. Instead of this, instead of making you, when you truly just accept it for what it is, instead of prompting you to live a life in fear and anxiety, wondering if you're safe or not, wondering if you can lose your salvation, if you have it, wondering if you're going to be one of those in Matthew 7. It is the other way around. It prompts you to live a life in complete awe when you realize, even if I wanted to throw myself in hell, I couldn't escape and I cannot escape from his love and from his saving grace. Because no matter what, he already says, and he said, that he will not lose absolutely one. He do, does not lose one of the sheep, one of those that the Father has given him. And he says, he died for his sheep, and his sheep will, not may, will hear his voice. That's where the peace and the comfort lies. That's why this is not this is not truth to make us bitter or scared against God. It's completely the other way around. It is humbling because we know that we absolutely do not deserve it. But it is because of his, that's the word, irresistible grace. Because we can't, we can't resist it. We are saved. 
we are sealed. There is peace and comfort in that. And that is what all this election, predestination, really is. And that's what it gives, and that's what it guarantees. This goes hand in hand with the security in our salvation, the perseverance of the saints, how we know that we will be part of the remnant, how we know that we will finish the race no matter what. He told you already. It is not up to man who runs, who wills, or runs. Now, don't get me wrong. We are called to live a certain way now that we are servants of Christ. But here's the thing. That happens by default. Though we are not perfect, Though we will struggle, how Paul described, though we will have the flesh warring against our new self, and we will fail. God has decided, as we saw in the last teaching, to make the process of sanctification a gradual one. It's not an immediate one. According to Philippians 1.6, it is one, it is a good work that has started that will continue until the day of Christ Jesus when it will be completed. But you see, it is guaranteed to us that it will be completed and that we will get there. That is good news. This is good news. God's sovereignty, his choosing, is great news. And you see, he hasn't given us a list. He hasn't given us a list of who is and who's not. It is our commission to take the gospel out there. It is our commission to preach the good news. It is our commission to go out there and preach to the sheep that are yet to come to the flock. We have a part in all this in the sense that he exercised, by his own choosing, he exercised the way that he does things also in part through us. By the command that he gives us. And he has given you the spirit to empower you to do so. This doesn't change anything. This doesn't change that the call, that the invitation, that the gospel is for everyone. It is for everyone. The fact that some will respond and some not is not up to us. It's never been up to us. We know that. 
And this doesn't place us in a special royalty-like elite group. No. This should humble us to our knees. This should make us feel though I am absolutely nothing and I'm deserving of you, you have chosen me. And my friends, if you have accepted Christ and you have come to save repentance and saving faith, you have been chosen. It's easy as that. There's no other requirements and there's there's no other checklist checklist to go through. Because repentance was granted to you by God. Faith was granted to you by God. You were drawn to him by himself. It is the shepherd that goes after the sheep. It all goes to his glory, period. And I will go really quick to Romans chapter 8. And I will close it here where we were. Notice verse, finishing verse 29 and verse 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he will be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. Notice how he does everything. It says he, he, he. He called, he predestined. He justified, and the one that we're waiting for, right, is using past tense for is using past tense to make that to to bold out. This is the part that is bolded in bold letters to make a point to establish the certainty of this event to come. The one that is yet to come is that one that says, "He also glorified." We are waiting for that one. Though it's already been established, right? It's going to happen. He's already ordained it. He's already predestined it. But we are waiting for that moment that we will be glorified. That we will have a glorified body. I'm going to just breeze through these verses so that we can wrap up the chapter and, con and continue the next one next time. Because all of this is things that we have covered through the discussion. What then shall we say to these things? God, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but deliver him over us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? He's telling you, who can remove you from his grace? Who can bring upon you a guilty verdict if you are his? You are part of his elect, and he has justified you. There's absolutely nothing that the devil can do or say to bring you down with him to the lake of fire. There's absolutely nothing that you yourself can do. 
to unjustify yourself. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? No one will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Just as it is written, as it is written for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For him, through him, through him, in all of these things, what things? He just told us distress, tribulation, persecution. We conquer. How? Through him. This has nothing to do with conquering worldly material things, taking our giants down every day, and getting financial breakthroughs and all. It has nothing to do with the prosperity gospel. It is because through him, through his power, through his love, through his election, we overcome anything. To the very end, we are with him and we will be with him. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced. I don't think. It's not a maybe. Perhaps. No, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, slash demons, and wicked spirits, and forces, nor things present, in other words, not things that you can see, nor things that you can't see, nor the natural, nor the supernatural, things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is where the comfort is. That is where all of this that we've been talking about translates into good news, great news, and peace for you, my brethren. Joy for you, strength for you, for you humbleness and it should also stir up the passion to seek out for the rest of the fold of the flock to be used as vessels to deliver the good news, to have others come to the realization, to be part of the rejoicing that happens in heaven every time one soul, one sinner comes to repentance. Completely the opposite of what people make it seem to be, of somehow well, we don't have to do anything because he's, well, or to somehow see this, despise this. No. It's completely the opposite. 
my friends. And that is, in a nutshell, I mean, we could literally be going on and on because there's more on this, a lot more. But in a nutshell, that is sovereign election, predestination, and the sovereignty of God. Exercise literally because of who he is. And at the end of the day, it is actually for our benefit. It is for our sake in the sense of if it wasn't this, if it was any other way, I would fail every single time. And I would not choose God. It is for his sake in the sense of he is God. He does what he pleases. And he pleases to do this way. Amen. I'm opening it up to the floor. That was amazing. <laughs> Man. Oh my goodness. That was all oh, that's simply amazing. His word has a way of getting to me. And that I mean, you, you did he used the uh, a wonderful vessel to deliver this message. It, it had to come from you. So I appreciate how you orchestrated that and allowed him to use you in that way because all I was saying is hallelujah. <laughs> there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that anyone can do to separate us from our Lord and Savior. Amen, brother. Even when our feelings conflict, our conscience, our guilt, our shame, everything that we try to hide, nothing can separate us. And that is so amazing and so uplifting and so refreshing. So thank you for that word. Amen, brother. Man, I almost teared up here. Praise God. Oh, yeah, I cried, man. I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. I cried. Man. Man, that moved me to tears, man. That was amazing. Yeah. I, go ahead and clown me if you want to, Savoy. Alexis is going to beat you up for me. But, yeah, man, that was really good, man. So, God, brother, sometimes I I honestly don't – I don't even get – I don't even understand, you know, the way that he uses us, and I'm just grateful. We're just we're not deserving. Yeah, like it, it, that, I think that's the conflicting thing right there within itself. We don't deserve that because, like you said, if he just was to look at everything that all of us would do through our lives, none of us will be destined for heaven. None of us will come close to the doorstep of heaven. But yet he sees it just for us to be in his presence, and that moves. If you are elect, when you hear that and you're not moved to do what he has called you to do, yeah, that's how you know you're not. And that is how all of this came together for me was if you hear his word, you know, and you love him and you hear his word and you don't move to that. There's a couple of questions you may have to ask yourself, but I know for myself that I can rest assured that. Yeah, it just sparked something inside my life that I know there's so much more for me to do. Amen, brother. Amen. 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 Great teaching, Alberto, as as usual. Oh, man, that was amazing. I'm I'm with y'all with the tears flowing, and God's goodness. But yeah, the teacher. I mean, he totally uses Albert to just, you know, his word just comes forth so powerfully. It, I was just gonna comment on. The more he was stressing, like that, you know, that it's not an us, and how just 
amazing how God is so big in my view. It, it makes me feel like I'm shrinking. Like it's kind of scary. It's like really fearful how He's so grand, but yet like it's all Him. You know, it's all Him. It's 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 just kind of scary because He's it's just huge to think of Him like choosing and has nothing to do with us. And when we actually think of you know, us losing our salvation, if it was up to us, we'd lose it every day. Every time, but, every, every minute. <laughs> but it's just so humbling because he's grand and it just, it's just kind of scary. His love is so overwhelming. But thank you. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Hey, so boy, can you do me a favor? For all of us a favor, can you uh, close this out in prayer, please? Sure, I will. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the privilege, Father, for the and for to be called sons and daughters of you, Father. Father, we are thankful to understand more and more with each passing study of what that means, what the deepness of that relationship means, Father. It, the 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 fact that you chose us by you love us by no actual doing of our own selves that we were chosen by you and we're and we're up and then we are yours because you chose us not because of any act of our own and that gives us security father in knowing that that gives us comfort in knowing that and we are thankful for this father father we are thankful for the opportunity of knowing more about you father on this side before we get to see you face to face father father I pray that all that are in attendance today and all that may who may hear this, Father, receive the same type of peace of knowing that their salvation sits squarely on your shoulders, Father, and not on any man's, and that it is secure, that that deposit of the Holy Spirit that that person has is theirs, and that it, is not, it will not be taken away, that we are in your hands, and no one can snatch them out of your hands. No one can snatch us out of your son's hands. And we are thankful for this, Father. Father, I pray that everyone, everyone that has heard this, Father, are rest in assuredness of their salvation and that they work it out, as Paul would say, in fear and trembling, in awe of who you are, Father, knowing that we are not worthy but being thankful that we are chosen. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. <laughs>